Welcome to the Crazy Love Podcast. In these times of chaos and darkness, it's easy for our minds to get as full of turmoil and negativity as the world around us. In today's episode, Francis Chan exhorts us to put away the problems and excuses that clutter our thoughts and reminds us to practice self-control and dwell on the things of God instead. Amen. And kind of what you shared about, you know, there just seems to be like this heaviness, darkness lately over a lot of people. And some of it is very understandable with a war going on and the possibility of World War III kind of can get to you. And but then other things within the church, obviously, it's just like, wow, saddening and frustrating. And there's there's anger, there's betrayal, there's lies, there's all this stuff. And man, I, I admit, like it's it's it 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 wears on you. Um, but that's why what we're talking about is so important, because when your foundation is the fear of God and the love of God, it doesn't matter what you go through. You can always run back to that and go, you know what, I'm okay, I'm okay. And so just to even worship right now, like to just go, yes, you're worthy of it all. Right now, like all the saints and angels in heaven are bowing before his throne. Okay, the angels are still screaming out his holiness. You know, the elders are, are, it's all going to happen. Revelation, everything that's in this book is going to happen. The problem is we, we lose sight of it. And I just find myself in worship and, you know, because you start thinking too hard and it's just going to lead you down this spiral. But once you get back to worshiping God for his holiness and his love, it's like, it's like a deep breath. I don't know you ever do that where it's like, okay, what was I panicked about? What was I anxious about? But the more you think about it, it's just going to take you into a dark place. And we all know people who have gotten in that dark place and it gets darker and darker to where they just want to end it all. And that's exactly the enemy's plan. So there's a, there's a passage. I mean, we all know, like, like God says in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always, right? Always. But, but it's, it's like our flesh, there's something like almost sadistic in us that, that wants to focus on pain and meditate on it and dwell on it. And it's, it's like our natural default, you, you know, it's like a, a slide or something where you just slide down into these negative thoughts of pain or betrayal or anger or whatever it is. It's, we, we naturally go that way. That's why the Bible commands us to rejoice in him always. It's a command. But, but later, in, you know, and he says, don't be anxious about anything, everything by prayer and petition. But the verse that, that I've been focusing on this week is verse 8, is after he says, you know, the God of peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But then in verse 8, he says, finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is commanded of us. Okay, again, I, I don't know. I started sinking into just some weird, like, not dark, dark, but just like, uh, I don't want to do anything. I'm just so annoyed at so many things. And it just, and you, but the problem is you start dwelling on it and trying to fix those problems. And you just, it, it just, that's all that's on the forefront of your mind. But then the scripture commands me, he says, I want your mind, which, this again, I was repenting of this and just saying, God, I'm so sorry. I've been using this mind that you've given me. You gave me this mind and I've been using it to dwell on negative thoughts. You know, it's, it's like if I give you something, let's say today I, uh, I, I, I give Rob a hundred bucks and I say, here, here's a hundred bucks, go, go feed the poor. And he ends up, you know, uh, at some Mexican restaurant just eating menudo by himself. You know, it's like, what are you doing? You just took my money and you're eating, you're, you're feeding yourself. That wasn't supposed to be for you. So in the same way, we've got to understand those of us who died to ourselves, our bodies, remember he says, we were purchased at a price. So this mind, I don't just have the freedom to use it to think about what I want to think about. Because I want to think about problems. I want to think about people who lied to me. I want to think about people who are doing things wrong. I want to think about what's off in the church. I want to think about this, this, this. And God's saying, here's what I want you to dwell on with that mind that you supposedly surrendered to me. Whatever is true, Some of us have been told things in our lives. People have said some horrible things about us. And we know they're not true. But what do we do? We meditate on it. Oh, I remember when she said this about me. I remember when he said it. Right? And the Bible says, no. You meditate on what's true. He, he says, I, I want you, whatever is true, not just what's true, but he goes, whatever is honorable. Honorable. So again, this is why I was saying, you know, let's, let's be careful what we're watching, what we're meditating on, you know, the videos we watch. I mean, because God's saying, I want your mind to dwell on what is true and what is honorable. It's not enough to just say it's true. He says, well, that's fine, but is it honorable? He goes, is it is it just? Are you thinking about things that are fair, that are just, or are you just thinking about all the injustices and what all the unfair things that have been happening to you? Whatever is pure, where are your thoughts? Are they pure? Are they holy? Are they clean? Are they thoughts that Jesus would think? Are they pure? Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think about these things. Meditate on these things. 
Okay, we've been talking about, okay, two weeks ago, remember I talked about um, 1 Peter 4, 7, where it says the end of all things is at hand, therefore, you know, be sober-minded and self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. What has changed since then in your life? Honestly, what did, what did you actually do because you heard a message about, wow, I shouldn't have my mind so cluttered with so many things. What did you actually do after that? You know, we don't want to be like, you know, what James says, the, the guy who deceives himself because he hears the word of God, but he does nothing. So you got to go, okay, what, what am I going to change? What are my viewing habits? Because I want to be alert and I want to pray at the end. So again, I can, I can preach this message and say, hey, you got to dwell on the things that are, that are true, that are honorable, that are right, that are pure, that are excellent, praiseworthy. Like, dwell on that. And, and we can just kind of go, yeah, that's, that's, that's convicting. I should change something. But this is where the enemy gets us. We don't actually do anything. We don't actually make a decision right then. It's kind of like, uh, you ever, you're driving, whether it's on the freeway, wherever, and the car up in front of you to the right turns their blinker on. So you're just waiting like, you know, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. You know, you'll even motion and then, then you realize, wait, I think this guy's just got his blinker on and doesn't even know, and then it's just so annoying, and then you drive by, you flip them off, and you, no, I don't do that. I usually say, hey, because it's usually a Chinese person. And, and uh, so I, I just go, you know, you, 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 you're frustrated because like, man, why'd you turn your blinker on if you're not going to change, right? You're not actually going to change lanes, and, and that happens in the church so much where it's like, no, man, I'm so convicted about that. I need to do something. And you turn the blinker on, but you never actually make the change. Okay, so I'm encouraging you right now. What are you actually going to do because of the word of God? Like, have your viewing habits, is your mind still cluttered? Or are you able to pray because you heard the word of God a couple of weeks ago and you made some changes in your life? And go, you know what? I'm watching a lot of stupid shows and a lot of stupid videos, and then I go to pray, and I can't do it. And now suddenly I'm coming before the king of the universe, and my mind is all over the place. Or you realize that and go, I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to turn, not just turn on my blinker at church, but actually go and do something different. You know, I... Uh, Earlier this week, I was thinking about this guy. Okay. I went golfing with this guy like probably 20 years ago. Just met him, you know. Friend of a friend. Someone said, hey, he's going through a real hard time. Can you, um, can you hang out with him? He's like a golf pro or whatever. I'm like, that's fine. You know, I'm pretty good myself. And, no, <laughs> terrible. But... Uh, I, I said, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go hang out. I'll play around with him. And uh, as we're playing, you know, I said, uh, so, so what's going on? You know, what's, what's your story? 
And he says, well, uh, my wife is leaving me. It's 20 years ago. And so now suddenly I'm filled with compassion. And I'm like, wow, what, what's going on? Tell me about it. And he says, she just, she's so frustrated with me. She can't take it anymore. And I go, well, what, what's the deal? And, and she, he goes, well, I'm, she gets mad that I keep playing this video game. I'm like, okay. Uh, this is 20 years ago. This before, you know, it was really a thing. So I was kind of like, when I'm super confused right now, you're playing a video game, so your wife wants to leave you. And he goes, well, she's just mad because I'm always playing it. And I go, I got an idea. <laughs> you know, like, stop. <laughs> you know, like, why don't you just stop? And I go, and he goes, it's not that easy. And it, it was just back in the day when no one, no one did that back then. Okay, now it's a thing. But back then, when it first starts happening, I'm just like, I, I'm kind of like deer in the headlights. Like, I can't believe what I'm hearing right now. I don't understand this. I don't get it. So you're about to let your wife walk out of the house rather than taking whatever it was back then, your Xbox or whatever that thing was way back in the day or your Atari, you know, like, why don't you just get rid of your video game? Like you're sacrificing your family. And I don't know, it was like the weirdest conversation. It, like, that's not an option. And and I look back, I was thinking about that this week. I go, gosh, I, I was so taken off guard that I ended up, we started talking about other things and, and I'm looking back on, God, what, what? You ever just wish you had said something and you didn't say it, you know? Like maybe as hard, because you're trying to be compassionate or go, ah, yeah, I used to play, you know, centipede or whatever, you know, I, I, you're trying to get in their mind. You guys don't even know what that is. It was a video game back in the day. It was cool. Okay, you remember. Okay, two of you. And it's just this whole concept of like, let it go. Let it go. I mean, if I could relive it, I would just go, dude, you've got issues. Like, you know, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, he says, when I, was a, when, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. I, I, gosh, I wish I could go back. I don't even know the guy. I don't know anything about it. But it's just like, and it's too late now, but it's like, gosh, Step up. Like, when are you ever going to grow up? You're addicted to a video game? And so you're going to let your wife go because you got to get to the next level? Like, that is so weird to me. And yet in the same way, in the church, I'm, 
I, we're getting so like, oh, you know, that's spiritual abuse to tell him to throw away his video game. Everything's spiritual abuse now. And what that ends up doing is belittling the things that actually are spiritual abuse. You know, but oh, you can't tell someone to just throw away. Yeah, you can. You can tell someone to man up and go, yeah, that's what boys do. I have kids that are, you know, addicted to video games. But, you know, when you come, become a man, you actually get a job. You actually can have some self-control. And to tell some men, like, what, what are you? You're a 40-year-old man, and you sit in front of a computer screen looking at pornography, playing with yourself? Really? That's, that's what you've ended up being. That's what you want to be. That was your goal in life, and you made it now. Like at some point, you got to stop making these excuses. Well, it's so addicting. It's everywhere. Yeah, and you supposedly have the Holy Spirit of God, the King, the one who spoke the world into existence, lives inside of you. You're supposedly one in him, like this, this nuclear bomb inside of you of power, and you're like, oh, I, I can't help myself. Really? At some point, we got to grow up and stop being like little kids and say, well, well, everyone's doing it. And go, no, not with this mind. This mind is going to dwell on what's true, what's honorable, what's right, what's pure, what's excellent, and what's praiseworthy. Yeah, I admit, in my youth, I struggled with stuff. And then I became a man. And I'm not trying to be all high and mighty like I never do. It's just you get to a point where you just go, okay, I caught it. That was dumb. What am I doing? You catch yourself. I mean, this stupid. I remember years ago when you and Ellie had your little Kindles and you're playing some game, and, and suddenly it's like, oh, I want to play that. What is that? And, oh, you just make the candy explode. And pretty soon, you know, the Kindle was always in my room. And, and I would just kind of play whenever I had more lives. You know, it was one of those games. And then, and then I was feeling a little stupid about it. And then one day, I'm on an airplane, and I'm sitting down. And then right at the last minute, these bodyguards come in. And so someone famous comes in, and it, it's actually Nancy Pelosi. Sits like right across the plane from me. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's Nancy Pelosi on Southwest. You know, like, and, uh, and I, this is so weird. But I didn't know what to say. I remember texting my friend, uh, Dave Lomas, the pastor of San Francisco. I'm like, hey, Nancy's across the row from me. Like, I want to start a conversation, but I don't know what to say. Tell me something smart to say, you know. And, you know, it's like, hey, thanks for speaking to the house. Uh, you know, it's just like, I don't know how to start this conversation, you know. But then, sure enough, she opens her iPad, and I'm thinking, ooh, maybe I'll find some secrets out, you know. She starts playing Candy Crush. <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah, see, it's okay. No, but at a moment, you just start, you hit, you know, I noticed, like, I'd be counseling a couple, and, and I'd see candy exploding in front of my eyes. Like, it was a weird, weird thing. And then, but it just, you just go, at some point, you go, wait a second. This is stupid. I'm a grown man, and I'm watching candy explode. 
And it's just like, delete, get this out of my life, and I have not crushed another piece of candy. Okay, it's just one of those things. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, I feel like an AA meeting here, but um, it, it's just one of those things where I get it. I get it. You get caught up in something, as dumb as it is. But the moment you catch it, you go, this is stupid. This is not who I am. And you change. You don't make excuses. You don't blame someone else. You just man up and go, wow, that's, that was really stupid. Satan had me for a little bit there. Boom. Something as dumb as that. And go, it's over. It's over. Never again. You know, whether it's shows, movies, videos, it's just, I'm done. The Word of God told me this. And when I say, like, this is uh, that base in my life, what we were just singing, all the saints and angels bowing before his throne, that, that fear of God, that understanding, that holiness of God. The passage I, I think about often is, uh, is Exodus um, Chapter 19, remember the, the story when, uh, when Moses is going to meet with God and in Exodus 19, verse uh, 16. Look at Exodus 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. I love that scene because so often when we pray, we close our eyes, it's just whatever. We just say nonsense. But if I stop and I think, oh my gosh, what if I was at this, at the foot of a mountain? You know, like I'm at the foot of a mountain and, and you hear a trumpet blast so loud that everyone is shaking. Like I have never heard a noise like that before. And there's lightning and thunder going on. So lightning, picture this, lightning, thunder, the entire mountain is shaking. A trumpet is blasting. Fire comes down from heaven. God himself ascends. The whole thing is wrapped in smoke. And every time Moses speaks to God, he responds in thunder. Like, what do you say to that being on the top of the mountain? How do you talk to him? You see, this is one of those scenes I picture because I just think, I have to understand how holy he is. 
I have to understand that I'm not talking to another human being. And I can slip into like this casual thing and forget who he is. And there's something about seeing him in his glory. Like a, a few days ago, we read, we're, we're reading through Ezekiel. Remember in the beginning, Ezekiel 1 through 3 and his vision of God. It's just Ezekiel's about to enter into a tough life. And so God gives him a vision of what he is like. Isaiah, right, was going to have a tough calling, so God shows him. But it was, it was at a specific time. It was in the year. It's very important. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord on his throne. Okay? It was specific. A good king for 52 years, then suddenly he dies, and you're like, what is going to happen to this nation now? It's the same way right now, like, we're, we're looking at what's happening in Israel. We're looking at what's happening in the church, the falling of these leaders. And you just go, what's going to happen? Well, what needs to happen is we need a vision of God himself. It's not fixing these problems. It's God showing Isaiah, yes, I get it. Your king died 52 years. You should grieve over that. But I'm still on my throne. See, this is what centers me. I, I, and when everything else just feels like it's getting dark and hopeless and like, oh, 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 you know what I do? I, I get on my knees and I just remember God's holiness. And I go, okay, he's still on his throne. Okay, so a lot of people are really down right now. A lot of people are confused and frustrated with the church. But I, I, I look at the throne and I go, nothing surprised you. You knew this war was going to happen. And you know, you knew all these lies we didn't know about in the church. And you're not shaken by it. You know, and, and, and what I love about this, this story in Exodus is, you know, Exodus 33, you know, he continues and Moses is like, I want to see your glory. I want to, I want to see even more. I mean, Moses walked up into that. You got to remember that. Okay, so we're at the base of the mountain and, and, and let's say we, we, you know, God, God says, Jarrett, I want Jarrett to come up to the mountain to see me. And we watch him. And most of us are like, I'm glad you didn't ask me, right? Because you're going, this thing is shaking. There's lightning, thunder, fire, everything. As he walks up there into a fire, you just think he's dead. He's dead. No one can survive that. No one can make it to the top of that mountain we're trembling just listening to this trumpet blast and he walks up. But the thing is, is Moses does make it down and has these experiences with God. 
And you got to understand this is Old Testament. This is, they don't know that much. They're not like us where we've got this book cover to cover and, and we've got all of these experiences that God does with Israel and everything else. And, and, uh, and then Christ coming and dying on the cross and the epistles and John and his vision of the end and revelation. We're like, oh, okay, I get this whole thing. But back then, it's like all we know is this Moses guy, you know, kind of he talks to God and then his face will start glowing and he explains it. And then we watched him walk up this mountain to talk to the one who created the world. They're still learning so much about him. They don't even have the commands yet. Okay? So they just know because, you know, just through nature even, like there's a creator up there. We know he's there. We've heard the stories from our forefathers. But then as Moses comes down that mountain, imagine you just going, what? What did he say? What did he say? What did he, what did he tell you? Because you said you wanted to see him, you wanted to see his glory. What did he tell you? In Matthew, I mean, in, Mo, in Exodus uh, 34, verse 5, it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children, children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. So as the people are waiting for Moses to come down, okay, what did he say? What did he say about himself? Because you got to understand, again, they don't have the scriptures. So they really don't know what Moses is going to say. Here's what God says. We would have an idea because we, we, we have this with us. But what did he say? I mean, God could have said anything to Moses. They didn't, they, he could have, Moses could have come down and said, God is so angry and he's not going to forgive anyone. And we're headed for destruction. End of story. He could have said that. That's who God could have been. But he doesn't say that. Moses I'm guessing surprises the people when they, these are the people that sinned and they made a golden calf when you, everything else, like just a wicked, wicked people. And God says to them, he said to me, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. And it's like, oh, what? 
Yeah, he's explaining to me, you know, the fire, the trembling, everything else. Like, he's so powerful. But the first thing he said about himself is that he's merciful. Like, he likes to show mercy. So those of us that have really screwed up, God, his, his very character, his very being, he's one that actually shows mercy. That's in him. That's who he is. That's the first thing he revealed about himself. That's what, uh, you know, Ephesians 2 says he's rich in mercy. Like, that's who he is. Like, that is the greatest news. So, so when I'm down and I'm thinking about whatever, and then I realize, oh, wait a second, wait a second, I'm not dwelling on what is praiseworthy, what's excellent. Then I dwell and I go, I think about him sitting on his throne in all of his power, and him saying, I'm merciful, I'm gracious, I'm slow to anger, I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I'm abounding, like it's overflowing. You know, like, I'm, this, it, and it's steadfast. It's not, oh, I remember that act of love he showed on the cross. No, it's a steadfast abounding. That means it's like, like spilling over. You know, it's just, that's who he is. And so when we let our minds dwell on these things, that's how we find peace. That whole passage in Philippians 4 is about, he goes, I don't want you to be anxious about anything. Nothing. Like, I want you to go through the rest of your life never worrying, ever. In fact, I command you, don't ever worry. Rejoice always. But here's a secret. Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, pure, excellent, praiseworthy, let your mind dwell on these things. Okay, I get it. I, I can get into a funk with just the things that are going on. I can get angry about different things, but then I realize, wait a second, I have control over what I think. And I'm commanded to control what I think. And so I go back to praising, rejoicing in the Lord, rejoicing in Him always. And so I get it. There's a lot of difficult things going on in the earth right now. But you know, when I was a child, I thought like a child. You know, my mind just went to weird thoughts. But when I became a man, I realized, well, I can actually control my thoughts. And I can actually dwell on the things that God wants me to dwell on. And he commands me to dwell on. And when you look at that list, you're like, wow, what am I allowed to dwell on? You know, it, it's very narrowing. What's true? What's also true and honorable and fair and excellent and... You know, you just end up with, oh yeah, I guess it's you. I, I guess you want my mind on you all of the time. That's a good thing. You want me thinking, dwelling on that. And so I hope you have this as a foundation of your life. Um, where you just understand you can't sit and play the victim and say all of these things are happening in the world what am I supposed to dwell on? Well, the Bible tells you. I just told you. Let's take control of our minds. 
because it's a crazy time right now. It really is. But we're going to be okay if we keep our eyes on the throne. That's why Isaiah made it. That's why Ezekiel made it. They got a vision of God. And so no matter how bad it got and how bad the persecution got, they went back to that foundation. So I believe that's why the Lord gave us this tremendous gift of communion. It's, it's, it's like Moses, after seeing all of the stuff on the, you know, God had already met with him in the burning bush, and he'd already seen so many things. He was even already in the tent of meeting with God when God in, in the cloud would come down, and it's just God talking to Moses as a man somehow, like, speaking to him. And, and amidst all of that, after all of that, Moses goes, I want to see more. I want to see your glory. Like he was just obsessed. And that's the way I view this. This doesn't get old to me. I said, God, you have shown yourself to me so many times in so many ways on this earth. I've got to have more of you right now. I've been praying that all morning. You know, came here early just to walk around, just tell him, God, I'm, I've experienced so much in the church, but I've got to have more now and that's what's behind communion there's something about when we get together as a body and we recognize the body and the blood of Christ and we recognize that we are the body of Christ there's some sort of grace given there there's some sort of eye opening like whoa I mean, that's what happened. Remember the strangers on the road to Emmaus after Jesus rose from the grave. He's walking with these two people and, and they're talking about, you know, this Jesus who died, not realizing he's right next to them. And he's just having a full-blown conversation and they're not getting it. But then the moment he broke the bread, it says their eyes were open and they realized that's Jesus and then he disappeared. There was something in the breaking of bread, okay? And I know people have tried to define this perfectly and everything through the years, and I'm not even going to try to go, okay, I got it. This is the way we've got to do it like this. this. I'm just saying there's some mystery here. It's a mystery, and that's why in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, look, there's divisions among you, and yet you're taking the bread and the cup, and he goes, that's not communion. He goes, the very fact that you're showing favoritism and this or that, that's the very reason why some of you are sick and some of you died. So there was something so powerful in this that if we held bitterness in our heart, if we have division and show favoritism, we got to be very careful not to take of this. But because we so long to touch God, commune with him, that's why we're like, okay, I'm going to get things right with this person no matter how hard it is because I can't stand not taking of the bread in the cup. I need that grace in my life. So this morning... 
it seems from my understanding of Scripture, there have always been people who, who don't believe in Jesus, who have not trusted in Jesus, and yet they would observe and watch what's going on in the church body. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing. But then when it comes time to take of the body and blood of Christ, that's where we go, okay, don't do this. This is only for those of us who trust in his body and blood to cleanse us, save us. And he is our Lord and Savior. He is that holy and loving God. And we've received his forgiveness. But it's so good for those of you who don't believe yet to actually just watch the others partake. And it's even good for those of you who right now go, gosh, I don't think I'm ready to take of it this morning. It's okay. Don't take of it. It's good for you to be here, though, and just watch others partake. And for me, I need this. I need this in my life. I love remembering the body and blood of Christ. Jesus says, this is how you proclaim my death until until I return. So it's not just me preaching that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And his son died on that cross to pay for the penalty of your sin. And that all of us who believe in that, we don't go to hell. We don't just perish, but we have eternal life. And the Bible says, proclaim that but proclaim it through this. He took a piece of bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body and it's broken for you. This is fascinating. That God on the mountaintop that I was talking about, okay, that you're terrified of, that is so holy and we sang about all the saints and angels are bowing before this crazy, amazing, fascinating throne. He goes, I actually came down to have my body broken for you. I'm doing this because I love you. And I'm going to take the penalty myself for you. This is my body broken for you. Take, eat. And then they passed the cup around and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This cup of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And we take of that cup, and the Bible says, don't we take of one loaf of bread? Because we're one body. And don't we drink from one cup? It's because we're one body. And he goes, we're actually fellowshipping with the body and blood of Christ. And so something amazing happens through communion. And so I've anticipated Amidst all the junk that's going on in the world, I can come back with the body of Christ and remind myself to dwell in what's true, what's honorable, what's just, what's pure, what's excellent, what's worthy of praise.
Thank you for listening to the Crazy Love Podcast. Join us next time for a new episode, but until then, for more resources from Crazy Love Ministries or to support the work of Crazy Love, please visit our website at crazylove.org.